when I went through adversity, when I felt the worst, all I was doing was thinking about myself. And as soon as I started thinking about others, my attitude changed and it improved. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, are you in need of some inspiration? As I go about my business and connecting with people who follow the show and just watching what's happening in our world, I find that maybe the most prevalent emotion that people are feeling is despair, a lack of hope. If you're feeling that way today, while we have somebody on the show who's been described as the antidote to all of that, uh, he is an inspirational author and speaker. His name is Richard Battle. Welcome to the show, Richard. It's great to have you on Gray Matter today. Uh, thank you so much, Leighton, for having me with you today. Look forward to the conversation. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, the work that you're doing is inspirational and it's so needed right now. Uh, by way of background, folks, uh, Richard is an award-winning author who's published uh, many books, including a couple that we're going to talk about today, including his new one, which is called Unopened Present. I just read it and it's wonderful. Uh, he's also written several more books, including uh, Made in America by Americans, not Americans. I like that title. Life's Daily Treasure, which is one of our featured books today on our reading list. Navigating Life's Journey, Conquering Life's Course, Unwelcome Opportunity, uh, The Volunteer Handbook, and The Four-Letter Word That Builds Character, uh, and Surviving Grief by God's Grace, among others. So Richard has really carved out a space uh, in, this, in this field, in this uh, uh, sphere, if we can call it, of uh, providing hope and inspiration to people. Uh, that, that is his focus as he goes about in his writings and uh, in his uh, public speaking and also in his radio appearances and his podcasting. So before we, uh, we dive into the conversation with him and get him to talk about how he does that and why he's doing what he's doing, as we always do, we're going to frame our conversation with a few aphorisms. Uh, I connected today with Richard via Twitter, and I, I've learned that he's a, a fan of aphorisms as well. I've chosen a few people who are uh, uh, featured in one of Richard's endeavors. Uh, the first one is uh, uh, astronaut, the late astronaut Alan Shepard, who once said, that, I realized up there, that is in outer space, that our planet is not infinite. It's fragile. That may not be obvious to a lot of folks, and it's tough that people are fighting each other here on Earth instead of trying to get together and live on this planet. We look pretty vulnerable in the darkness of space. Next one is from uh, the late Martin Luther King Jr., uh, who said many wonderful things. He was a, a brilliant writer and orator, but he said this, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The next one uh, is uh, two conflicting forces cannot exist in one human heart. When doubt reigns, faith cannot abide. Where hatred rules, love is crowded out. Where selfishness rules, their love cannot dwell. When worry is present, 
trust cannot worry its way in. And finally, from uh, the best book of all, or, or part of the part of the best book of all, Proverbs. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That's in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. So who do we have in the show today? Well, Richard Battle. Uh, and where I'd like to start with him is, um, Richard, um, you've written extensively on a lot of the topics that uh, are so important to people. But one of them that I really, I guess, fixated on when I was preparing for, to, for our talk today is hope. And you've written about this. You wrote in a paper... Um, a couple of years ago, a paper that says, basically, we need hope more than ever. And where do we find it? Can we start there and maybe talk about that? And, and, uh, and maybe in the context, if you want to begin with, how did you get started? What, what sort of brought you in your life path to where you are right now as, as someone who provides hope and inspiration to others? Well, I think that's a great place to start. And let me say my high school English teachers never dreamed I'd read a book, much less <laughs> write one. And I never dreamed I'd write one, much less I'm now at 10. And I've been hopeless before. Uh, when I lost my only son and first child some years back, there was a period, even though I was a believer, that I didn't have hope for the future. And that's a terrible place to be. And I'm so thankful a, a friend and his wife helped revive my hope. And it became something that... Uh, helped me to write Surviving Grief by God's Grace, which was my second book. I'd never dreamed of writing one. Wrote that one as a second one. Never dreamed of writing anything more than that. But yet there's been inspiration delivered to me based on experiences in my life. And the messages I want to share are a hope for people because without that, life is, desperation is an understatement. And that's the only thing that helps us get through these days that we're in now is hope. And our culture, our political leaders don't inspire people now and don't provide hope. And so it just increases the desperation and despair that people feel. And I hope that some of the things I do may help others to be lifted out of that hopelessness that I once experienced. Yeah, the, what this this feeling of despair or desperation, as you put it, is so much a part of, of life in North America, in the United States and Canada. Just recently, you probably heard this, the United States, they had the highest uh, suicide rate ever, even higher than the outbreak of World War II. Nearly 50,000 Americans killed themselves last year. In Canada, uh, it's so saddening to know and to learn and to appreciate that um, we're making an industry of suicide. Uh, there's law on the books in Canada now called MAID, which is medical assistance in dying. And about 14,000 people killed themselves that way last year. And it's connected to this horrific enterprise of, uh, organ, of, of, of organ harvesting uh, and, and the sales of, of, these, of these human body parts. How do you suppose we, we got here, Richard? We, we started out as, as kind of a, you know, Christian countries in the United States and Canada, North America, but we sort of drifted to into this uh, atheistic malaise that is, I think, is very much connected to the desperation and the lack of hope that you write about. How do we get here? And, and what's what do you think are, are some of the antidotes? Well, I think that a movement away from Christian faith has caused this and only a spiritual awakening will help us 
restore our purpose, which is to glorify God and to help us in it, go through adversity in ways that we can learn and grow and serve others versus this self-focus that our cultures are perpetuating right now. And right. when you're focused on self, then the least little adversity can drive you over the edge. And young people, especially, I've read studies where they only take a few minutes before they decide and go through with suicide so often because they don't have a hope beyond themselves and beyond the moment. And that's what faith gives us is a hope beyond ourselves and a hope for eternity. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother died of Alzheimer's a few years back and she was so ill and had no quality of life. And I was wondering, why doesn't God take her and put her out of her misery and give her peace? And I finally discovered for me that I believe he left her so that my brother and I could learn lessons to help our life. It was her last sacrifice on earth was showing us how to live better by her suffering. Oh. Wow. And, and to, and to sort of endure that with, uh, courage, of course, that's something that you know a lot about because of what, uh, you've gone through in your own life with the loss of your son, which you mentioned. And, uh, I read a piece that, that was on your, that's on your website, uh, called the dear John message that will lift every heart. You wrote this a few years ago on yes. father's day. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, and that, that's the basis, the first half of the basis for The Unopened Present, which is my latest book. And so when my son was six months old, I was a little older than the average father. And I was concerned that I might not live long enough to teach him the important lessons in life. And so I wrote him a letter, 43 lessons, and unfortunately, he passed away three months later. Oh my and I included it as an appendix in the book, Surviving Grief by God's Grace, and then didn't really think about it much and included it with Navigating Life's Journey as an appendix, just as a side thought as well. And in 2022, Father's Day week, uh, we set up radio interviews talking about Father's Day, loss of a child, parenting, this letter. And I had a God moment that happened on an interview in Iowa uh, that tied with this letter. And that's what motivated the book. And I'm going to go ahead and share it now if you'll allow sure. me to. So please do. Please do. What's interesting, this station in Iowa, and I'd been on there multiple times, and the segments were always four minutes. And you know how short four minutes is in this type <laughs> format. Yes. So I had to get my truck service that day. Uh, the interview was at 7.39 a.m. I dropped my truck off at 7 a.m. And I'm trying to figure out where am I going to do this interview while they're working on my truck. And I finally ended up in the sales lounge. And the phone rings. I'm going through the four minutes. And I mean, that's what's amazing. Four minutes. I hear somebody walk by. Don't think anything of it. We finish. I get my truck. I'm halfway home on my hour drive home. Phone rings. I don't recognize the number, so I don't answer. I look at a voicemail later, and it's somebody from the dealership. And, of course, your first thought is, drats, they, they messed my truck up. I'm going to have to go back to the store. <laughs> and so I called the number, and a guy answered, and he said, were you the person talking in the sales lounge a little while ago? And I said, yes, I was. And he goes, well, I just wanted to call and say thank you. Last night, I prayed to God in desperation 
for him to give me peace, to send somebody with a message that would help me because my daughter passed away two months ago. And I believe he sent you to give me a message of hope. And I've never been so humbled in my entire life. And so later when I was speaking to a friend who had known my son, he said, you need to take that phone call and that letter and write a book about it. And that's what I did was take the letter with the 43 points, added context quotes, a scriptural reference. And hopefully that will help people when they're raising children, children growing, uh, to look at life's important lessons to help them in their lives. Right. And and these 43 uh, messages that you have in this book, these are, are not just, uh, you know, your private musings. These are based upon scriptural truths that you've discovered, right, and that are revealed in your book, right? Well, yes, absolutely. And everything I do as either an overt or covert Christian message in it, all based on Judeo-Christian values, traditional family values, positive, uplifting, hopeful. Yeah. Uh, and and here, uh, I mean, the, the, and the purpose of this book, as in all of your writing, really is to provide comfort and also inspiration to people, but also to draw them uh, back to the Word of God, right? That's a big part of your focus of your writing, isn't it? Well, I hope so. And like I say, some, some of the books, I don't use Scripture in them, but they still use Judeo-Christian principles. And others, I'll use Scripture in to emphasize the messages, just like we do in the unopened present. Right. Um, but you've written on a variety of, of topics. One of them was really interesting. One of your pieces is uh, how can we perform like Tom Brady in any undertaking? This was an interesting piece. You want to talk about this one a little bit? Well, I, I was talking in that piece about success and the components of success that can help all of us succeed. Uh, and Tom Brady obviously is the go to football, but we all can improve our performance to make our lives better. Mm -hmm. And one of the principles I believe is I don't look at anyone else as a competitor. I only worry about, am I better today than yesterday? And what can I do today to make me better tomorrow than I am today? And when I do that, I find my expectations are different and I don't feel frustrated because I'm not looking at other people and feeling inferior to them. All I'm doing is trying to make myself better every day. Yeah. I, 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 like you, I'm a, a great admirer of Mr. Brady and, and, uh, you know, just the way he, he conducts himself. I can remember the first time that I became aware really of him as, was a feature. I think it was on ESP, ESPN or something. And, um, I'll just share this with you because it was, it was really interesting. Uh, was, uh, it was, it was, his father was watching him play in a game and then the camera followed his father down to the locker room. And the first thing he did with his son is he gave him a hug and then kissed him. And I thought, wow, is that ever beautiful? What a beautiful representation that said so much about the closeness of the relationship between the father and the son, uh, that they're that, that close, you know, to do that on, on, on camera, they don't care what people think about that. They just love each other so much. And, uh, I, I, I have two sons of my own, and I actually my old eldest son had just been born at that time. I thought, wow, I hope when my son's grown, I'm that close with him. 
but that, that just shows the existence, I think, or the presence is a better word of, of God in their relationship, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. And all of us fall short occasionally. I failed more times than I'd like to admit to. But I think it's important for all of us to look for good examples and things we can use to help raise our children and influence anyone we come in contact with. And Tom Brady's a great example. And I love that story about his father. And on the opposite end of that, you look at someone like a Johnny Manziel, whose yeah. father expected the coaches to raise him and abdicated his parental responsibility yeah. and the results that came from that. <laughs> yeah. Very sad. And, you know, that's one of the things that isn't talked about enough when we, when we look at um, things like juvenile you know, delinquency and even young girls falling into things like the you know sex trade, it always seems to be the common denominator is a lack of a of a father figure. This seems to be a really untold story in our society, and of course um, you can expand that out and say you know disconnection from from our our heavenly father as well, uh, who's a father to all of us. And uh, it's 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 very sad that that, that this uh, this sort of parentlessness or, or this fatherlessness has become such an endemic problem in places like the United States and Canada. Do you find that a lot in your work as you go about and talk with people? Well, yes, and I don't know the statistic for Canada, but the single parent household number in the United States right now is twenty three percent, which is three times higher than the average in the rest of the world. And we see the results of it because when we see the crime rates, so often it's young people in single parent households who don't have a good father figure and who need that to help guide them through, especially those tough teenage years that we all survived, thankfully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's, again, one of the things that I hope with the unopened present is that people can take that and share it and gift it because if people will look at these truths, and I didn't invent them, it's just things that I was raised with, things that I observed that worked and wanted to share with my son. And they are truths that'll be true 50 or 100 years from now, just like they are today and were 100 years ago. Right. How does, how does being connected with, with God and, and Christian faith connect to uh, or, or sort of uh, uh, exemplified in leadership qualities. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, yes. And I, I mean, I think scripture and the examples in scripture, there are so many leadership examples we can look to that are great. Moses and Joshua, just to name a couple. Uh, I spent time in the corporate world for many years and ended up with global responsibility and uh, had leadership roles in civic and volunteer efforts as well. And so that's something that I love to observe and study is good leadership and contrasted against bad leadership because we all are leaders to someone. Right. It's just a matter of who and at that particular time and, our, and we need to be the best leaders we can. And so the first priority is always accomplishing the mission. But the second one is always preparing the next generation of leadership. And so, again, if we go back to Moses. Uh, he spent 40 years in the desert before he was given the leadership opportunity, being prepared. And then he prepared Joshua for 40 years before he was given the reins uh, as examples, because if we'll use scripture, 
it can help prepare us for those leadership opportunities and will be better examples and leaders and can influence multiple generations. And that's really the objective. Yeah, that's Moses as a kid when I was growing up and and, you know, going to Sunday school and learning about the Bible was always sort of my 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 hero in the Old Testament. The reason why is because he had a speech impediment. He was a stutterer. And I, when I was a kid, believe it or not, I get paid to speak now. But when I was a kid, I was a terrible stutterer. So I thought, wow, if God could bless Moses with the with, with the power of speech to or, or to to with the ability to to lead these people out of Egypt, well, maybe he can help me talk uh, like a normal person. So yes. that, that you can always find these examples of inspiration. But speaking of leadership, um, an interesting project I found, I learned about on your website is one that you've started about the American Capital CAN Hall of Fame. This is a new project, isn't it? Where you're highlighting uh, some of the great people in American history and culture, you know, from sports, music, heritage, and other categories. Uh, people like George Washington and uh, Madam C.J. Walker, Helen Keller, Stephen Jobs, um, Billy Graham, and others. How, how did you get this idea, and 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 why why was this uh, something that you thought was really important to do? Well, one of the things that really irritated me in the, especially the past few years, is how many people in the United States, especially. All they talk about is you can't do this, you can't do that. Only government can do things. And our country was built on people who had a can-do spirit. And to me, they are great examples for us to learn by. Did they succeed all the time? No. But they overcame so much adversity to succeed and gift us this great country that we have. And we need to appreciate it better than we do And we need to have the can-do spirit and gift that freedom and liberty and that spirit to future generations. Because if we don't, we will end up losing that gift of liberty that was provided for us. And so recognizing those people is something I think is very important. Uh, It's a project I've got in works right now, which will further do that. And I think that it's shame on us if we don't. And our part of our culture is today is that human nature is evolving. And so the the wisdom of the ages is not as important. The Bible's not important. Our constitution, our governmental documents aren't because the people today are different than the people were years ago. And I totally disagree with that. I think human nature is the same today as it was from the beginning. And we can evidence that very easily. And that makes the wisdom of the ages available to us to learn from. And I believe smart people learn from their experience and brilliant people learn from the experience of others. And so I want to share those people and encourage others that if they did it, we can do better than we think as well. Right. It's sort of standing on the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. And to recognize, recognize that they were giants and that uh you know people like in the american culture people like abraham lincoln and george washington and others uh really were exemplary human beings that we can learn a lot from um but in the culture today the 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 focus seems to be in education in the media and entertainment uh everywhere you look it seems to be tearing things down uh tearing people down tearing institutions down tearing down great ideas, knocking over statues of these people, uh, as opposed to building up. 
But you talk about something called the three C's between being a casualty and a champion in life. Uh, and this is about building people up. What, what are the three C's all about? Oh, gosh, I've done so much. I might have to look like a champion. Uh, I'd have to look back to see because there's been so many. I've done so many variations. I've done seven seven C's. Is that right? <laughs> Three well, you C's. Pick, you pick any C's you like. How about that? The, 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 the piece I, that, I, that I saw was about David Marshall Williams as being a good example of someone whose action transformed his life's journey from being a casualty to becoming a champion. And uh, you, t in that piece, you talked about the three steps we can take to become champions. Well, and David Marshall Williams, he his nickname was Carbine Williams. And there was a great movie portraying him, but with Jimmy Stewart many years ago, uh, uh, but he was thrown in prison uh, for moonshining. And as opposed to being negative in there and letting the spirit break him, he ended up designing an improvement to the M1 carbine and long story short, ended up producing a rifle in prison with the prison authorities permission that those improvements to the M1 carbine saved untold thousands of people in World yeah. War II. He ended up with over 50 patents uh, on weapons. And it was all how he handled the adversity. Uh, originally he resented it and it was all negative response. But once he started looking forward and looking for positive ways to impact people, then he was able to grow and come out of that and become a champion uh, person and a great influence and example for us. Right. And the, in that situation, I, I can't recall the story now. I, I do recall the movie, but um, was part of that that he discovered faith and that that was part of the inspiration for his, for his change in attitude? He didn't have as much faith as some other examples that, that I've used, like Alvin York, Sergeant York. Right, yes. Uh, but, Another great movie. <laughs> but he, he turned his life from a negative response to a positive. Right. And one of the things that I advocate is you can never do anything positive with a negative attitude. Right. And so once you begin with a positive attitude and forget the negative, then you can build upon that day by day. And it's the same thing with forgiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for us. And the greatest gift we can give ourselves, and this is scriptural, is forgiving others and then letting that hatred and frustration yes. and anger go because that prevents us from growing and doing things positive when we're holding grudges and looking for vengeance versus being able to forgive someone and move forward. Yes. Um, and, and another part of that, you know, sometimes people say, uh, they'll say, well, you know, it's, it's too late for me to change. You know, I've made a mess of my life. Oh. You know, I can't do it now. But one of the things you talk about in your books is, you know, there, it really is never too late, is it? No. As long as we're breathing, we've got an opportunity. And as mm -hmm. long as we're breathing, I believe we have a, a future service to deliver. And I believe that the service and growth that we have on this earth is just a preparation for an eternal service and growth. And so thinking about it that way changes our calculus. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. So first thing people ask me a lot of times are, well, how many books are you selling? 
And I'll tell them that's not my calculus. Uh, yes, I want to sell books and I want people to read them, etc. But my calculus is on content. And I want to put content out that's positive and uplifting and hopeful that can be looked at 50 or 100 years from now and help people then as much as it might today. And if I can share ideas like that, then it will influence people more. And that's greater of greater importance than any book sale numbers can be. Right. And the in addition to the work that you've done sort of in in the in the Christian uh, space, you've also uh, developed some ideas uh, in terms of sales and marketing. Uh, but it, it, my impression is that the principles uh, in each case are, are similar or, or adaptable. Is that is that true? Do I have that right? Well, as I, as I say, I, everything I do is either overtly Christian with scripture or uh, I hate to say covertly, but using Judeo-Christian principles <laughs> in, 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 and based on that. And again, all positive and uplifting and trying to share ideas that will help people immediately, practical ideas that can help people where they are today be better tomorrow. Right. And uh, in that vein, uh, I read two of your books so far. The first oh, was Unopened Present. I also read Life's Daily Treasure. And I really enjoyed this book. Uh, and this book is, uh, it, the cover says, 366 Doses of Hope, Optimism, Personal Growth, and Encouragement. And uh, this book is described as negativity and discouragement are prevalent, as we've been talking about on the show. Positive news and encouragement can be difficult to locate. So this this book is really designed to give people sort of daily doses, sort of daily affirmations, ideas um, that, that will make them feel more optimistic, uh, look forward to what they're doing, uh, to maybe experience more gratitude in their daily lives. Uh, do you want to talk about this book a little bit and what inspired you to write it? Well, the pandemic inspired me because during all the negativity and discouragement that went on, I used scripture. I used things to celebrate American success. Uh, I used motivational quotes to help me be encouraged. And all of a sudden, one day I was thinking, well, if these things help me, I can share them with others to hopefully help them. Mm -hmm. And so each of the 366 days, I don't cheat leap year, uh, I have six listings. So every day has a subject. So for example, the 17th is encouragement, the 25th is wisdom. Uh, every day of the month has a subject. Uh, there's a scriptural quote. There's three things for American celebration. One is a national day. One's a birthday of an, a great American. Another's a historical fact. Uh, and then there's a motivational quote and then one of my battles bullets, which are things that I've espoused at one time or the other. Takes a minute or so each day to read. Two of those I have on video. If, if people are interested, Richard Battles, Life Daily Treasure on YouTube, they can subscribe. And I do two of those every day on videos that are put out on social media. Uh, one, one book that uh, was very much admired by uh, famous country music star Larry Gatlin is called Unwelcome Opportunity. I haven't read this book yet. Uh, what, what is Unwelcome Opportunity all about? Well, what's what was interesting, I left the corporate world and I put out the master sales secrets and my plan was I had two other sales and management books almost finished. 
And my plan was to do that and consult and do different things. And a friend of mine said, there's a thousand of those books out there. You should write about what you just experienced. You'll help more people that way. And I did a 180 and unwelcome opportunity. I went through a divorce, two heart procedures and a cancer diagnosis in one 10 month period. Wow. And that's and the he, book. And, and he was on you hard. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> that's the book. And it's very much scripturally based that helped me get through those three things and helped me to move forward with a positive attitude about it because uh, it would have been very easy to woe is me type of thing and be negative. And I did that one day and a friend of mine said, Hey, get over it. Everybody goes through tough times. And so I changed my focus back to the positive and said, okay, how can I share what I went through to help others going through that kind of adversity? Well, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to read that book now because I was just reading, as it happens last night, the book of Job. And uh, for those who haven't read the book of Job, uh, that was that was a period of time like the ten months that Richard just described. Uh, yes. Job is this uh, is this he's described as a as a perfect man, uh, the the ideal man, and Satan comes along and he says to God, you know. Have you, if you took all of these things you blessed him with away, you know, he wouldn't be, he would, he would curse you. And so he goes through all kinds of hell on earth, doesn't he? And, and, um, but did you, did, did you, did you find solace or did you read the book of Job when you were going through that difficult time? Well, and I'd read Job before that and during that and after that, yes, uh, Job was, was helpful. Uh, one of the things and one of the examples I put in there, and I use this when I speak a lot when I got ready to have the second stint, and I mean, I work out every day. I, I still play competitive softball. Uh, so my cardiologist thought I was a puzzle. He couldn't figure out why I was having this issue. But the, the second one I was going to have, they couldn't do it in my community, and they were going to have to take me to a different hospital. And so I'm in the OR or pre-op, never met this doctor. He comes walking in looks at my chart and he goes, well, we'll figure it out once we get in there. And I had never been more at peace in my life than I was before I went in for that procedure, not knowing you know, if I'd come out, what they'd do, whatever. For, to this day, I've never seen that doctor again. And so I recognized that he was my Lone Ranger. Hmm. And if you remember the old Lone Ranger. Oh, yes, I sure do. And the reason why is he showed up when I needed him. He took care of me and he left before I could say thank you. And that's exactly what the Lone Ranger that we remember on TV and used to do. He'd do those three things every time. And right. so I got to thinking, well, who sees me as their Lone Ranger? Right. And so I challenge people a lot of times when I speak, who will see you as their Lone Ranger? When people need us show up, Help them. You don't have to wait around for the thank you before you go help somebody else. And it was a great lesson to me that is scriptural stories are very similar uh, to help me and hopefully help others as they go through uh, tough times to help other people. Yeah, that's uh, that's so true what you just said. And it's a bit counterintuitive to people to think that, well, if I take on responsibility, if I if I try to be someone who someone else could look up to and and see as an example, 
um, you know, that, that'll, that'll make me a better person. That'll, that'll make me happier. That'll enrich my life. That'll make my life meaning. And of course, this is scriptural. This is, this is uh, what really, to a large degree, what being a Christian is all about, is this taking on of responsibility in the same way that, of course, our Lord took on the cross. But it, but it is counterintuitive because people think, well, you know, I just want life to be comfortable and I want things to be easy. <laughs> I want someone to take care of me. And, and But ha- taking on duty and taking on responsibility, that really is the road to a meaningful life, a more meaningful uh, and joyful life, isn't it? Well, yes. And we breed Americans in our country. And that's historically what happened throughout the building of America, for example, yes. uh, people help themselves, they help their family, they help their community, they help their church people. Well, our culture now makes everyone look to our national government as the first and last resort for any help. Anytime they stub their toe, they go, oh gosh, who's going to pay me money to help me feel better? And they look to the government. And that's the last thing that we need to do is look to that because it makes us weaker because we don't serve and lift each other up. When we help each other, we lift each other up and strengthen each other. Right. So in addition to your writing, are you writing another book right now, Richard? Well, yes, I'm working on... Well, let's hear about that. What's your new book about? (laughs) Well, I'm working on a series that will be historical based uh, for 12 and up, uh, young adults and up. That will be another encouraging celebration of Americans who made America. And so I want to highlight people like that because, again, I believe we're all examples to other. The question is, what kind of examples are we? And and I could remember Mm -hmm. my daughter when she was a little girl. She looked up to the girls four and five years old when she was even two. And those girls at four and five were examples to her, even though they didn't know it. And that helped me recognize that we're all examples of somebody. And so the best example that we can be is is so critical at all times because we never know when someone's looking to us for that example. Yes, exactly. Um, it's, it's funny. One of my favorite quotations is from someone who's uh, part of your uh, or is soon to be inducted into your American Hall of Fame, and that's Albert Einstein. He famously said, there's only three ways to influence others. The first is example. The second is example. And the third is example. So people yes. are really are looking at what you're doing and, and how you're walking your faith and, and more so than, than what you're saying. And of course, uh, that, that's, that's the whole basis of Christianity. We try to walk in the footsteps of our Lord. Um, but in addition to your writing, you're also doing a lot of public speaking and you have a, a, a very uh, regular radio presence too, don't you? Well, I'm fortunate to do uh, be on two radio shows every week, one in Minnesota and one in Denver, and then we do other programs like this. I'm very uh, fortunate for that. I'm just hopeful that there are listeners like the one who inspired the Open Present uh, that will receive the message and benefit from it. And that's one of the things that I told the host in Iowa, I said, normally, we do a program, we don't know if anyone's benefiting or not. And here right. was a guy in Texas that benefited from a program in Iowa. He didn't even know I was on the radio when I was talking. And the people in Iowa didn't know somebody in Texas was benefiting. 
And, and we never know, but when we put the good positive message out, we have to hope that someone's there listening. And all it takes is one idea to change a life. Right. And the former Supreme Court Justice in uh, U.S., Oliver Wendell Holmes, said a man's mind, once stretched by a new idea, cannot return to its previous dimension. Mm -hmm. And so when we get a new idea, it changes us from that point forward. And it gives us the opportunity to change other people that we influence. Richard, the one one thing I'd like to ask you about, obviously, you, you've made it very clear that everything that you do is is Christ-centered um, and, and it's based upon your faith and the expression of your faith. Can you talk a little bit about the role that prayer uh, plays in your life uh, and, and has played in your life in terms of dealing with adversity and in terms of, of helping you, you know, do all these many things that you're doing? For example, you said that you never thought you'd ever write a book and, and suddenly you, you, you've written 10 and you're working now on a series of of, of several more. Um, is that connected to your prayer life? And if it is, how, how does that work? Cause I, I get asked this a lot by, by people who are, who are viewers, uh, you know, about the role of prayer. Some people don't understand the the power of prayer and how it plays a role, how it can play a role in how we live our lives and, and it has, and it's life changing possibilities. Well, I'm a, I'm a believer in power of prayer because I think it, establishes a, a two-way communication with God. One, when we pray and pray, we ask for intercession for others or thanksgiving or ask uh, petition God for ourselves, uh, we pray and seek his direction. Now, when I was in the corporate life and I was focused on uh, goals, a lot of times I didn't listen as closely as I should have. And I didn't hear as much as I should have. And when I left the corporate world to full-time write and speak, what's amazing, I've had instances where I've been as dead asleep in the middle of the night and all of a sudden been given inspiration for specific things to write and had to get up and write it right then, for example. I've had ideas given to me all kinds of places, church, driving down the street, all kinds of different things because now I feel like I'm a little more in tune to listening to messages. Now I would, I would prefer to even get more messages so I can make sure I don't make a mistake and not follow what I'm supposed to. But I'll give you one quick example. I was dead asleep one night uh, and I ended up putting this in the made in America by Americans, not Americans. And it was the leadership secrets of old McDonald. Old McDonald had a farm and I woke up and here I am a grown man and I'm thinking about old McDonald. And I, I mean, I'd not had any, any drugs or alcohol or anything. And so how bizarre is that? But I was given the whole leadership secrets. That song's 300 years old, but yet no one knows what the E-I-E-I-O means. And I discovered that, wrote a piece about it. And to me, those are leadership secrets that can help people in any type of organization. And I put it in Made in America by Americans, not Americans. Okay, you've got to tell us now, because I've got that song in my head. It's going to be in my <laughs> head all day. Now, what is the E-I-E-I-O? What does that well, mean? Well, I'll, I'll tell for the full story. You have to look. But okay. e, first E is example. Ah. First oh. I is instruction. Second E is encouragement. 
Second I is inspiration. And the O is optimism. Oh, that's brilliant. And I, I researched and I never saw anyone come up with what E-I-E-I-O meant. And to me, that was an inspiration given to me in the middle of the night. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so, Richard, obviously, um, you're someone who, who has been writing, very busy writing. Are there books uh, that have inspired you in your life? Uh, uh, the, the, not necessarily the Bible, but it could be the Bible, but there are other books that, that growing up and, and, uh, you know, in your college days, uh, and in your education and going through periods of adversity, are there uh, two or three books that sort of stand out for you that have been especially inspirational or have impacted your, your life and your way of thinking and your relationship with God? Well, and, and I love, I'm going to give you kind of categories because, yeah, there's so many. <laughs> and I love to read, and I love to read nonfiction historical and biographies because I'm looking for what other people went through, lessons I can learn from them. When I read about the Revolutionary War period in the United States, the mm -hmm. one word that sums it up is providence. Right. How God brought together all of these different founders and patriots with different gifts and uniquely brought them together at the right time to win an eight-year war of independence against the biggest power in the world. And there's only one word that can be used, and that's providence. And our founders recognize that, but people today don't remember that. And so yeah. that's one. I love World War II history because there are so many examples of the greatest generation uh, mm -hmm. of the allies and what they overcome to help preserve liberty for us. Yes. Uh, I love to read biographies of people who overcame adversity to success as well. Yeah. I, uh, I, I really love those, uh, those selections. In fact, uh, just by way of anecdote, the other day I was, uh, you know, I was sort of had a heavy day in, in my life and in, in my life as a lawyer I watched a documentary about Pearl Harbor oh. and uh, that, that, that cured me. I realized, you know, uh, you know, you don't have such a bad day tomorrow because, you know, you're not going to have Japanese planes flying down, shooting at you and just the, the incredible, uh, you know, sacrifice and the bravery. One of the stories about Pearl Harbor, you probably know this, is that one of the ships was on fire and the crew uh, tried to, I believe it wasn't the Arizona, uh, but one of the ships actually tried to get out of the harbor and get out to sea yes. in order to draw fire, uh, the, to, to draw the enemy fire away. I mean, that type of sacrifice, um, people just don't understand that anymore, do they? Well, rarely, unfortunately, yeah. and, and you're right. The problems we have today are so minuscule comparatively. And it was funny when uh, COVID was bigger than it is now and hopefully won't get big again. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was, I was going into a building and this, and a lady was walking in next to me and she goes, Oh gosh, it's, it's so bad. It, it can't get any worse than this. And I said, lady, I've had a lot worse years than COVID year. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. COVID was nothing comparatively to some of the things, but I don't complain. Uh, I lost my son and it was devastating to me. But when I went to a guard drill, uh, a month or two later, and I was talking to to one of my associates, and he lost three children in a house fire in one night. Oh. So things can always be worse. 
And so I don't ever look at anything I've been through as, oh, it's I've gone through more than anyone else. It's just that's what I've gone through. And when we go through adversity, the tendency is to say, why me? Mm -hmm. And one of the lessons I learned is that's not the right question for me. Uh, Why me traps us in the past because it makes us look at self only. Uh, God is not there. He's in the present and the future. He's already left the past behind. Uh, We're stuck there. As long as we're focused on the past, we cannot grow into the future. And so what I learned was the right question is what now? Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to learn from this adversity that will help me and I can help others? And when I do that, then I can focus on the future, how I use that experience for the future. And then I can move toward God in the present and the future. Mm. So instead of sort of feeling sorry for yourself, um, you translate that into some form of action that you can take to improve your your situation. So it, is that if, if someone were watching this or listening to this program right now, is that sort of the best advice you could give them? If they were going through a very difficult time, perhaps a time of grief or, or illness or a divorce or loss of, 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 of a job, is that is that the sort of advice that you would provide to them? Is try to try to take stock of what's happening to you, and and then take some form of positive action. Well, yes, and, and I'll add one thing to it. What I found when I went through adversity, when I felt the worst. All I was doing was thinking about myself. Right. And as soon as I started thinking about others, my attitude changed and it improved because I could think about doing something for others and helping others. And then I forgot about myself. And I think historically, scripturally and biblical, that was the way that people dealt with adversity much more than we do today because our culture, again, promotes self-focus. Right. That that uh, that translates into our political leaders too, isn't it? You talk about, you know, the the American founders. Um, they all of them really had a very strong, a very powerful understanding of servant leadership, right? You, and yes. and and that even exists when you think of someone like Abraham Lincoln. Um, but they all had a strong sense of servant leadership, and uh, our politicians don't seem to have that nowadays, do they? They seem to have an entitlement uh, attitude whereby, you know, they they think that because they are elected to to political office, that somehow they're part of an elite and they're, they're no longer accountable. Uh, and that all the power is at the top. And uh, whereas in the American situation, the American experiment was founded upon the idea of, you know, government uh, by the people, for the people uh, and for the good of the people. And uh, we've, we've really, we've sort of inverted that, haven't we, in modern times? Well, you're exactly correct. And, and again, to me, it's a nonpartisan issue. Uh, but at the founding time, people were elected and they went to Washington or their state house to serve, served a few years and went back home. No one ever dreamed that people would try to make a living off political service because they would lose money, basically, that was servant leadership. They sacrificed to go serve. And then they went back and doing so, they recognized that if I pass a law that hurts my neighbor, well, when it's his turn to go serve, then he's going to pass a law to hurt me. Well, now we have people who believe it's their God-given right to go in there and, and make money, get rich, 
be there until they're drug out feet first when they pass away and rule people who serve them as opposed to serving people who elected them. Right. And the late William F. Buckley said, I'd rather be governed by the first 535 people in a New York City phone book than by Congress. That was a, <laughs> a recognition of that because these entitled people, uh, they're causing as much of the problems that we face as anything else, in my opinion. Right. And uh, would you agree with me that perhaps the the antidote to that is is to is to really follow a lot of the advice that's in your books, and that is take action, get involved locally in your in your communities. Because thinking of the American experiment, uh, originally the revolution was about breaking away from an oppressive government. And what made America such a great country, in my view, at least initially, was limited government. That the whole American experiment was based upon limited government, and and you know individuals and families and communities do better when government is small. Uh, but if we get back, if we take the initiative instead of going hat in hand to government to solve all of our, all of our problems, but instead take some responsibility and get involved in our communities. Would you agree with me that that might be an antidote to the chaos that we're experiencing right now? Well, absolutely. And so the government we have in the U.S. right now encourages people not to be involved. It's leave it up to us. I believe one of the party's platform is trust me and don't ask any questions. They want us to give up thinking that it's overwhelming and that you have to be an expert. And so it discourages people. And so my encouragement for folks is None of us can take care of everything that we don't like, but all of us can help in one area. So find one thing you're passionate about and contribute to that and help it. And if we get enough people participating, then we can return it to a servant leadership of the people, by the people and for the people. Well, that's got to be the last word for today, Richard. That was very, that was profound. Uh, but I want to thank you so much. It's been my great pleasure to have you on the program today. I know that this is going to be inspirational to all of our listeners. Wish you much continued success with everything that you're doing, your new book, uh, your new book series and your radio broadcast and your public speaking. Uh, it really, it really, it's, it's very gratifying, comforting to me to know that there are people out there like you who are working and have dedicated their lives to inspire others and are doing it by, by essentially spreading the word of God, which I think is, uh, is the antidote to all despair in the world. I know you agree. Yes. Uh, you know, our Lord and Savior, he's already won the battle. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, we're living in a world that uh, so many people are alienated from that love. Uh, and uh, it's so, so wonderful that people like you are out there uh, reminding everyone and, uh, and and teaching everyone about that love and how it can be such a changing force, uh, such a guiding force in our lives. So thanks very much for being with us today and for all the work that you do. Well, we appreciate the opportunity to be with you. And we always end our interview saying, God bless America. And I'll add, God bless Canada. Yes, we need, we need the blessings too. Thank you. 